Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford, and I'm coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. I say that because there are some people, believe it or not, who actually listen to this, who are new to our network uh, association, and um, I just always feel like I need to clarify who we are. You know, sometimes I, now I know some of you don't do this, you're already shaking your head right now, but uh, sometimes I'll listen to sports uh, talk, and one of the things that irritates me so much is Sometimes I'll tune in in the middle of a conversation and all the, the commentators are saying are, well, he did this and then he did that and he did this. And it goes on for four or five minutes and you're wondering, well, who is he? And they may have stated it clearly at the very beginning, but as the thing goes along, you don't know who they're talking about. And um, it's a little bit of a peeve, but it's a very practical peeve. Do you have any practical peeves from now and then? Um, so when we begin the program, people who just click and listen on an archive, they, they need to know where this is coming from and it is coming from Dallas, but it's extending not only to our church family and those affiliated with this church from many different places in the nation and world, but also to our saints network family. And that is a growing group by the Lord's, uh, ordaining. And we're very thankful, very excited about that. This is a busy time of the year. I didn't need to prophesy that to you. You already knew it. Um, but it's also a crucial turning into the new year. 2024 is going to be uh, a time where we have to move in the strategy of the Lord in a, in a more defined and a more rapid pace than we, we, we ever have. The reason for that is that we've got so many doors that are open and we have uh, some of those places that are growing numerically, others that are growing in points of authority and uh, development. And uh, we're also going to be having a great number of uh, new uh, outposts of the saints that we don't really know of right now that will be joining us in the, the year to come. So um, that's going to kind of be what we talk about today from uh, the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. But while you're turning there, I do want to give a couple of words of uh, direction for our, uh, for our congregation here and for those of you who join with us live online uh, each week. Um, Christmas Eve is a Sunday, as is New Year's Eve. It's always a bit problematic for any pastor who's trying to plan on that day because you know good and well that when it comes to Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, the best laid plans you would bring out are going to usually fall uh, second in uh, priority to whatever those individual families have to do. And so uh, typically we have tried over the years to have on Christmas Eve at least one service. 
Usually it is an evening where it's dark enough for candlelight. This year, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday. So here's what we're going to do. Just dismiss what I said about usually. This is what we're doing this year. On New Year's uh, Eve, on Christmas Eve, we are not having Sunday school on that day. And our church service will begin at 11 a.m. So no Sunday school. Service begins at 11. And we'll have kind of a Christmas Eve service. I, that's a few weeks away. I have no idea what the Lord is going to want. We'll have some special music. I don't think we're going to do candles this year because doing candles during the daylight is kind of symbolic, fine, but it's not as pretty. So there's no sense doing that. Now, if you by some chance are languishing because you don't have a candle, we'll just bring one and light it up during one of the hymns. Don't catch anything on fire, but you go ahead and have your own candlelight. Um, I do love the Christmas Eve in the evening candlelight service, but I also know, I know this in the core of who I am, that as much as people love the Lord and as much as people love this church and the ministries here as saints, that we have a Sunday morning service, the likelihood of us having anybody outside of my own family who is here that night is pretty pretty slim and we love those who would come but you know we'll just have an 11 o'clock on Christmas Eve and go through um, whatever time that ends now I would imagine you're not going to have some big family blowout on Christmas Eve lunch I would imagine that since you're either going to do something that evening or the next day for sure so let's just plan on that. Now, New Year's Eve, <clears throat> again, there won't be a Sunday school class. Um, but service will again begin at 11. And it will be more of a consecration type of a meeting leading into the new year. The board is going to be involved here. Uh, there will be prophetic directives the Saints Network will be apprised earlier that week of some suggestions that we would invite those precious ones to participate in. But our goal on that day is to look into the new year and consecrate ourselves for the service of the kingdom. So all that being said, I'll be sending an email to our church today. But if you, even if you don't get that email, can we have the email? Can we have the email? Even if you don't get the email, just know. 11 o'clock Christmas Eve, 11 o'clock New Year's Eve, and leading up to that prayer focus on uh, New Year's Eve Sunday, we'll be sending out well before that an email of invitation and explanation to the Saints Network. So, you just got to let us have a church here. <laughs> And so I'll be sending that out this afternoon just to reiterate to everybody, since most of my people don't, well, I guess they do listen to Wednesday Night Live. But anyway, that's a lot of rambling. I know that my wife's probably rolling her eyes right now, but that's, that's just the way it is. Um, we pray God will bless you in this unique season. There are certainly a lot of things that the Spirit is doing not the least of which 
are the ongoing words, uh, rhema words, that God has been giving us week to week um, from his scripture. This past Sunday, we spoke about the ministering spirits of the Lord. And that wasn't just a textual discussion. It really was a word that I know God is shining his light on at this time. And we are being, as saints, hear me now, carefully choosing this word, graduated into a new dimension of partnership with the angelic. As much as we've done in the past, as much as we have been blessed by angelic encounters and directives and um, different measures of scriptural um, scriptural instances of how angels ministry happening with us. Um, God is leading us into a measure of in, in, in heirs and joint heirs level of partnership with the angelic. And if you didn't listen to, <clears throat> excuse me, the archive of saints radio on Monday, um, I would encourage you to, to at least listen to it at double time. You'll still be able to hear everything. But there I, uh, and really French radio had a, a much more down-home discussion of what this means for us. You could listen to that too, and uh, at least you you would understand what I'm saying. It'd be fun to hear Luke too. But I, I know that we are we're going to need to know how to function as sons, offering supplication, how to gain insight in the types of asking, the Iteo, which is, we believe, very, very clearly aligned with the Old Testament concept of Sha'al, and um, then what to do at the bidding of our Father to utilize the authority he's given us to declare into those segments that the, the Father has identified the, the directive for the angels to go forth and, and serve. I mean, no matter how you look at it from the Scripture, you cannot parse away the validity and the importance of the heirs of salvation, the heirs serving the Father. And you just because you're born again doesn't mean you're functioning in that role. I don't care what teaching you've heard about. It is a potential. But you've got to grow in grace. You've got to come into that place where the Father says, okay, you've been faithful in the small things. Now I'm going to give you authority in a greater dimension. And so just preaching that Bless God, when you're born again, you're in the family of God, and you have all this right now, right now. I'm telling you right now, when, right now. No. You have the potential of that. Yes, you are in the family of God if you're born again through the blood of Jesus Christ. But you've got to grow. And just like in any other thing in life, you don't, you should not give somebody authority if they've not proven to you 
that they could actually be trusted with that authority. If they've not demonstrated in partnership with you, being trained by you, that you'll know what they're going to do with that. I don't think Washington understands that. There's a whole lot of people in authority that don't know what in the Sam Hill they're doing or there for political appointments rather than practical, um, practically based position. But in the church, if you're talking about that, that growth development between babies to children to uh, older children to sons to heirs to joint heirs, that is a progression. You're not all of that immediately. Otherwise, why would it be a progression? What would be the point of the progression if you don't have to progress? See, it's real convenient to get people that, that are just looking for lottery ticket faith. It's, it's real convenient to preach a fiery message that promises them all this stuff. It's almost like listening to one of those uh, uh, infomercials. Man, are you losing your hair? If you will contact Dr. Ho's special hair elixir, shine this light on your head every two hours. But wait, if you order in the next five minutes, we'll send you a double dose of Dr. Ho's special hair elixir. And then, then you hear another one that talks about Dr. Ho's elixir and it says, supplies are running out. We're limiting you to just this amount for your order. Well, bless God, I've got to get that. I don't want them to run out before I've got mine. And preachers often preach that way. And people that their lives are a mess, they want to hear some quick fix. Listen, other than being born again, which is simply the greatest thing that would ever happen, and you come into an agreement with the Lord and you welcome him, you accept him, you confess your sins in all of the Roman road discussion. Everything else in Christianity is a walk of faith. It is development. It is gaining in partnership with God. And you, you even read the parables. I, 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 people just cherry pick phrases out of the parables that the Lord speaks. What do you do with the, with the person who's faithful with these talents and then they're made ruler over other things? What do you do with the numbskull who just buries his talent in the backyard? And even Jesus then says, and this is something I've been praying about, <clears throat> not considering it myself, but he said, you would have been better off. This is the Lord saying, if you had given this over to the banking interest so you could gain interest. And we're at a point right now as saints where things are really coming to a head eschatologically. We're in the end times, whether you want to believe it. And I know every generation has said it, but every generation has not seen the things that we see and the technological capacities that are developing day by day 
to where the things in the book of Revelation could happen now. No other generation has seen that. And I knew that in the 70s. You probably did too. There is no way that this could happen right now. Although the Lord could come back at any time. But there's no way that at that time people couldn't, some demonic force couldn't do something that made everybody either have to have a mark and lay on their face before the devil or they can't buy or sell. There was no way back then that that could happen. Guess what? So we're at a point now where you've either got to get in the game or sell your sell your shares. And people are making the decision. Hear this. Now hear this. You either get going with the Lord or find some place where you can put your talent to earn interest. And I'm, I'm praying for, for my people for this. Because people, that's, that's the point of what this New Year's Eve service is going to be. And for our network, assess, are you going forward or are you just going to play games? Because if you're going to play games, it would be better for you to just find a place where you can be among Christian people and earn interest on your gift. As for me, I want to be an entrepreneur under the directive of the Spirit, investing where the Father says to invest and to sow into the kingdom the places that God is opening up for us to disciple people and to lead them into the ways of what it means to be a saint. And for the night is coming. Uh, there is a busyness to this. And so the development of how we partner with the angelic, God has been so gracious in training of us in this in the years gone by, and I certainly am well aware of lots of things that have happened here. So many of them have happened before my very eyes, and I've been the beneficiary of so many of them. So I know that we have partnered with angels. That's been the directive of our Father for the purpose of the kingdom. But all that being said, I know that in the level of promotion that God is ushering us into, that we need to be in in order to serve him effectively, that there is a heightened measure where some of these scriptures, like the one in Hebrews 1.14, uh, where that really is functional with us. But how is it functional? We've gone through that. You've got to be a person who commit yourself. You've got to be praying. You've got to be offering supplication. And we studied what that means. And, you know, that's important. We'll touch on that in just a moment. The role of supplication in the angelic. But you've also then got to be listening when you offer supplication, to be being trained by the Spirit through prosuke. And you've got to learn then how to prophetically declare the things that God reveals from those supplication times. And then you know that you go before the Father and you iteo those things on behalf of the kingdom. You ask, that's iteo. 
And that's synonymous, I firmly believe, with the Old Testament concept of Sha'al, ask of me. And then, as we're functioning in that way, God directs these things. You've pinpointed his timing and not according to your whims or, or your own your own desires. You gotta and God will make that clear. We all have things we want God to do. Thankfully, he doesn't give us most of those. Because later on we think, good grief, I dodged one there. If God had given me that, I would have really been up the creek without a paddle. So, um, but at that point, when you've gone through the progression I just spoke about, forget about up the creek without a paddle, um, you, you then are able to make that issuance before the angelic according to the liturgy of what God is saying here, we need this to be released. God has said it. We need this to be released, and we release you, angelic, to go and to address these things, specific things that come through that regimen of prayer and partnership with God. And also then that we're able to move in the in the immediacy of the Spirit, which is that second word for ministering. We talked about this over the past few days, so I'm not reteaching it now. I'm just saying that that is a progression that God has trained us for, biblically and experientially, with him. And he's brought us to this point, and we need to know we need to see it in Scripture and recognize, okay, now we're fitting the qualifications for this verse, and now it's time for it to be put into motion and into practice. It's unique. We're going to look now. I told, I threatened that we were going to look at Matthew 2. And Matthew 2, verse 13, uh, it speaks about the time when the Magi had just departed. They were warned of God in a dream not to go back to Herod. When they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. We'll talk about that prophet in just a minute. But think about how the angelic was mightily involved in the birth of Jesus. Think about how even with Zacharias, Gabriel came to the old priest and said, your supplication is being answered. We've taught on that before. It's a really wonderful thing to see that God, God is not constrained by our time limits, but he is bound to covenants that he enters into that he offers during times of supplication. Even with Daniel, when Gabriel appeared to him and said, from the first day you began to offer supplication, your words were heard, 
and I have come because of them. So this measure of supplication, which is one of the seven spirits of God, that is linked with grace, whenever God's moving in grace, you find uh, the, the necessity of supplication. It's, it's part of who God is. It's not just what he does. It's part of who God is. It's one of the seven spirits of God. And that's why the throne is classified in, in the book of Hebrews as the throne of grace, because God is always moving forward in grace. And um, yes, there are times when in his person, according to the scriptures, different dimensions of his spirits, his ways, are showcased. And um, But in essence, it's always going to be a throne of grace because God offers grace. He wants to move forward in grace. He wants to keep developing from a res restoration standpoint to a creative standpoint the things that he longs to do. And he looks forward to partnering with you. We're saved by grace. We grow in grace, or at least we should. Uh, we come boldly before the throne of grace to gain what we need, uh, particularly in faith at the right hand of that throne, to go forward from there, empowered by the directives of God. So it's it's always grace, and that's in him, the, the communication of grace is supplication. It just is. If God's, if one of God's dimensions of his spirit is grace and supplication, the spirit of grace and supplication, he's telling you right there the way to partner with me in grace is through supplication. That's the language that God relates to. That's the partnership that God relates to. So both with Gabriel and Daniel and Gabriel with Zacharias, you have that. Now, this is, we, we need to hasten to our, uh, our theme for the day, really. But, you know, some might ask, I just interject this last thing, where was Mary with supplication? How did she qualify? And where was Joseph with supplication? How did he qualify? Because we don't really have indication that they were some great prayer warriors. I'm sure the Catholics have dreamed up some story. But biblically, we don't have that. In fact, Mary hadn't had that many years where she could do that. I suspect that with what Gabriel was saying about her, that her life had been specifically um, watched over and she was being prepared. And I, I believe that the, uh, undoubtedly from what she said to Gabriel and what she said to Elizabeth, she didn't just immediately have a jump in the spiritual IQ because the anointment was upon her. I mean, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That's some high-level developmental discussion there. You don't just say that. 
I mean, even if you just said it, you couldn't, you, you know, your lips can say something, but if your heart is far from that, God doesn't love that, right? So in her, her soul and her spirit had to have been being developed for God to come and offer this wonderful blessing to her, this miraculous blessing. And for her to say, be it unto me according to your word, that's amazing. So, and Joseph, I mean, he doesn't get enough credit. I mean, what that guy accepted and did was beyond merit. And so we don't have a specific indication of them being people of supplication partnership, but yet their heart was already geared toward that. And you know, really what I think is the the birth of Christ being sent by God, prophesied throughout the Old Testament, this was undoubtedly the gift from God. And God in his own self, grace and supplication, I think that, that Christ's coming was more an indication of the result of God's supplication than any person in particular. Because if somebody was offering supplication about the birth of Jesus, Zechari what was Zechariah's offering? Supplication about the birth of John. Think just a little bit. Um why why would can you imagine god saying okay you know what it's my will that my son be born my firstborn my only begotten and i really need somebody to be praying so that they can be the one that the virgin birth comes through that's 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 not indicated. Now, Simeon and Anna were praying, but with Joseph and Mary and the actual coming of Jesus to them, I believe that was God's, that was God as, as an intercessor releasing that because that was from him, by him, of him. It was him. So if we're talking about a supplicant yielding yourself for the will of God, that was God offering himself for his will. And that's the essence of supplication. Does that make sense? Listen to it again. You can skip back and listen to this. Um, so here's Joseph and the angel's the angels seem to work with those that are heirs of salvation in a heightened manner. And um, so the angel of the Lord is appearing to Joseph in dreams. He had a, he had a very high-level responsibility that he committed to. I mean, he's responsible for God. 
you imagine that? I, I, th I guess the same thing could be said for us. If we're the body of Christ, and we're responsible for how the body of Christ is going to move. But here's Joseph. Now, he's warned by an angel in a dream to go to Egypt. Now, if this angel knew that Herod was going to do this, why didn't God just send a legion of angels to just go down there and put fire around Bethlehem like they did with uh, the prophet when Saul was sending people to, to uh, or, or, the, or the king was sending people to come and arrest the fire of the Lord came. Because God moves in faith. Everything has to fulfill scripture. Everything has to move. So what is this business in verse 15? Matthew doing a little editorializing here. That Joseph, Mary, and Jesus stayed in Egypt until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. This is a reference to Hosea chapter 11, where this is almost word for word a quote. Um, what's the significance of that? Um, for Hosea, Hosea had that weird prophetic life where you know he's he's told by God to marry this harlot whose name was Gomer. Oh, hey, Andy. Um, I think that understands this. Hey, Andy. Uh, what what <clears throat> what Hosea depicted was God reaching out to Israel, God loving Israel. And Israel then giving its love to the demons of the land. And then God restoring Israel because God loved Israel, but then wanting them to be sons before him. But they continually rejected that. And I'm not faulting Israel. Most of the church rejects the full privilege of being sons, so I'm not faulting Israel. I'm just saying, here it is. You tell me if this is what happened. And so God's plan when they came out of Egypt was, was not really fulfilled in the initial stage. And that was something that the, the discussions and the arguments among the scribes and the rabbis would say the Messiah is supposed to come out of Israel. The Messiah is supposed to come out of Bethlehem. Um, what's this business about out of Egypt? And so they, they rationalized that Hosea was just speaking about Israel coming out as a nation. But that in part is true. But the fulfillment of being a son wasn't. 
I mean, they when they came out of Egypt, they wandered around for 40 years murmuring. Then they went into the land, and then before you could say Jehovah Jireh, they were lounging around and having dalliances with the ites of the land and becoming more like demonized nations than they were God's people. You can look at that in Scripture. So <clears throat> they came out of Egypt with the prospect of them entering the promise and the inheritance that God promised Abram, but they never really fulfilled that sonship. Oh, they approached it, but they didn't. And so the whole rationalization in the interpretation of Hosea over the centuries has been that Hosea 11.1 was just about them coming as a nation out of Egypt. But that problematic business about my son coming out, that's the one that they tried to splain away because they couldn't fathom how the Messiah would come out of Egypt. So they just generalized it as the nation in the Exodus coming out of Egypt. So here is God's plan that Matthew identifies that somehow there's a do-over, forgive me for marginalizing it that way or generalizing it, and, you know, the king of Israel is rejecting again sonship. So God does the do-over. He sends Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. They go down to Egypt and... Um, at the time that Herod passes, then they come out of Egypt back up to the area of Nazareth. And, of course, the sonship is then initiated. Now, here's the Son of God, and he will show how to be a son. He will give his life so that people can be redeemed to the Father. So you can't really be a son without first having a father. Oh, but mothers have sons. Yeah, but mothers, you know, the only one with a miraculous, uh, immaculate conception was Mary. So any mother out there has to have a father, a, a, a man influence. There has to be a father influence before the process goes. Whether they act like a father or not is another story. Does that make sense? We're speaking a lot of philosophical things, theosophical things here today. But the, the point, though, is that sonship was the issue. And it still is the issue. God is looking for his people to actually be sons, to actually be heirs and joint heirs. And those are the ones that the angelic will move with. And that's what we're yearning to be for our Father. And when we are that, then the angelic become those that minister on behalf of the heirs. But essentially, they're ministering on behalf of the Father, but that's just the Father's authority chain. 
Everything in the spirit realm is relationship with God and authority structure. God told us that from the very, very beginning. And this is the way it is now. If you don't develop a relationship with God, oh, don't you know that my church is casting out demons and we're healing the sick and we're doing all these things? You know, it seems I read somewhere that some of those people, Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I, I never knew you. So it's about whether God knows you, not knows about you, but knows you. And it's not really whether you know about him. You can be discipled all day long and not know Jesus. Believe me, I know that. I was raised in the church. I studied the scripture, participated in Bible quiz and sword drills, and I taught the adult Sunday school class by the time I was 16 years old. And we had a big, probably 60 people in that, in that one class. Um, I went and got a degree, uh, a bachelor's in biblical studies and, and a master's degree in that. So I know what it means to love the study of the word. And I did pray, and God was gracious to me. But I recognized after the light was turned on that so much of what God created me to be wasn't being done. And that areas that he wanted to know me in, I didn't even know that I had them because I wasn't doing the things that are clearly spelled out in the scripture that indicate how God knows you, not knows about you, and not what you know in the word. Now, yes, you do need to know the word. Otherwise, if you're, in the, if you're dealing as a son in the spirit realm, that's the thing that's going to be constant. That's the thing that's going to be your rhema. It's going to be your direction. It'll be your warning signs. The enemy knows the word, and he will try to deceive you. you. You need a lot of examples in scriptures. You ought to have them for yourself if you're a real student of the word. So being a son is different than being born again. You must be born again. But from that point, you need to grow into sonship. And I knew a lot about being born again. And I knew how to speak in that unknown tongue that I got when I was 13 years old. I didn't really know what it meant. I mean, what was the teaching back then that, you know, sometimes when, when you're on your knees at the altar and you're praying and you just feel like the heavens are brass and you don't know how to pray as you ought to get God to do what you want him to do. Well, bless God. The Spirit of God helps our infirmities because he says right there, right there, read it for me, that we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us according to what? The will of God. And how many times those things you're getting your prayer chain slapping the walls of heaven really aren't what God wants. It's just what you want or what you think should happen. There's a big difference between those two things most of the time. 
most of the time if we're dealing in a carnal mindset or a fearful mindset. So, Joseph had a unique role unlike anything anybody else has ever had. But to some large degree, we are following the principle as saints of what Joseph had to do. We, we're watching over Christ being formed in people all over the world as saints. That's our mission. And we need the direction of the Father. You know, we were down in Brazil this last time. This guy, he was a prophet, kind of a fiery dude. He prophesied over me that I was Simeon. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know whether it's because I look like an old coot now or, or what it was. But, you know, he, he, he quoted the scripture. It was very kind. But in a way, whether it's Simeon or whether it's Joseph or whether it's Elijah or whether it's Anna or whether it's even Zacharias and Elizabeth, all these old people are the main players surrounding Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus. You realize that? Where are the young bucks? Where, where are all the, the movers and the shakers that, that God just loves? Where, where are they? I don't see them anywhere. I see Mary, who was probably, I don't know this, I haven't checked her birth certificate lately, probably 15. So she really wasn't in those early 20s where you know everything. Joseph was an older guy. We don't know how old he was, but he was an older guy. But look at all the other folks that were involved here. I just mentioned them. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Simeon, Anna. Magi, who were seasoned dudes. People of wealth. People who had studied for years. These were the players, weren't they? Old people. People who, older people. People who were, for a large part, um, seasoned veterans that God could entrust with this. Now, Mary had to be who she was to fulfill Scripture. She had to be a virgin. She had to be in a measure of purity. I would think at that age she probably hadn't had a crush yet. Maybe she did. But she wasn't playing games with the boy next door, you know. Playing games, I don't mean anything bad by that. She hadn't written her name and his last name a hundred times on the side of the wall yet. This had to be a devotion to God, like what the Apostle Paul said, that we should all be as chaste virgins presenting ourselves. Saint, remember, chaste is saint. We need to continue to be as little children entering in, and we need to continually be virginal before the Lord. Mary was uniquely chosen 
But she was the youngest one of the bunch. She had to be for the purity and the commitment and for the miracle to really be um, manifested the way it had to be. Joseph, a little bit older. We don't know how old. It wasn't some Mormon wedding where the guy was 65 and he's got this young girl. That, that, not with all respect to the Mormons, back in the pioneer days, that kind of crazy stuff happened. Um, so, but look at that. I mean, any of you veteran saints thinking you're over the hill, we want to see Christ formed in these nations. Well, who, who did God put in position to welcome that when Christ came? Are you going to be faithful to that? You be careful what you say, because when Zechariah Zacharias had asked, and he was getting what he asked for, according to Gabriel, and when he started being an old cantankerous gasser, Gabriel said, all right, you're not going to speak again until this baby's born. <laughs> so watch what you say. You're in this whether you like it or not. Maybe you wanted it to happen 20 years ago. I think we all expected things to happen faster than they did now, but, but yet God has brought us into this Elijah mode, into this Zechariah mode, into this Abraham mode, into this Magi role, into this Joseph role, into this Simeon and Anna role. And whether we like it or not, and from a natural perspective, God's not asking for our opinion. He's asking for our commitment and our realization that this is just the way God moves. So we do what we have to do. Um, but the angelic are, are committed to the ways of God and one of the reasons there's so many angels in this story of coming of Christ is, as we've said in the past, because the angelic core had to make visible and verbal and whole-spirited commitment to what God had ordained for mankind. That had to be done because of, first of all, what God's plan entailed for us, but secondly, because of the rebellion of Satan, which I think the scripture plainly indicates uh, that rebellion came about because the enemy did not want to accept God's plan for men and women. Jesus said the enemy was a man killer from the beginning. The very beginning indicated that he was not willing to submit to God's plan. So the angelic has to show themselves prominent in the acceptance and the declaration and the rejoicing of what God's plan is. And when we come to Hebrews 1.14, or we re regard their influence here in this nativity story, 
it's all about God's plan for sonship. And then Matthew speaks about this. Which part was fulfilled? Was it just Egypt? Or was it the objective of out of Egypt? The son. God wanted Israel to do that. They did not. I think the story of Hosea, the story of the wilderness wanderings, the story of the conquest and the times of the judges indicate that. David then rises up, and it's not very long before Absalom and Solomon plunge them into demonic things that are horrific to consider. So God's plan for sonship was rejected and now it's going to be fulfilled through this little baby. And there's an out of Egypt kind of a fulfillment here. But even that it comes from Hosea, the life of Hosea is shows this whole thing. Uh, I just think it's phenomenal. And Matthew being the Jewish I believe that he was a scholar. He was a trained man. He was a tax collector, of course, but he was, you, you don't become involved uh, in taxes, uh, especially when you have to answer to the Roman government and the, the Jewish Sanhedrin, and you don't become that if you're a dummy. I hope any of you aren't offended by saying a dummy. I, at least I didn't use the S word. So, Matthew recognizes immediately in his accounting of this that, okay, this is what Hosea talked about. And it's the objective is sonship. So, that's our objective as we go into this new year. Yeah, Jesus is coming again. Even so, come quickly. But we've got a lot of work to do for the night is coming. Um, we are partnering with the angelic in heightened ways because of God's plan. And you have come to this point so that you can participate with God in this hour in his plan. Are you willing to do that? Or have you cashed in your chips? Oh, I would have done it 12 years ago, but you just don't know what my life is like now. Well, you don't know what my life is like now. The point is, we're all still here. You know, as Morgan Freeman said in one of the apocryphal books of the Bible, get busy living or get busy dying. One way or the other, live as long as you're alive. This is I hate being a cheerleader. Scott Nastin's our cheerleader here at the church, but I hate being a cheerleader. I should be a leader, not a cheerleader. I, I, I feel like, so many people are in the valley of decision right now because of where God is ready to launch us into. We've been warned about transition. But I'm like, you know, the old wagon train series. We got to get through this. We got to get we got to get this train moving and we don't have the ability to come back to the end of the train to just make sure you've not decided to give up. You got to answer to God just as I do. So do the things you've been trained to do. Do the things you know God put you on this earth to do, regardless of what your age is or, 
how you thought things were going to happen differently years ago. You're where you are right now. Do you think that God, I can't answer for God, all the ways that God presented himself to his people, to the world, by this time in Matthew 2, don't you think if God had been a human being, he'd have a whole lot more to gripe about than you or I do? Hey, I put these people in a garden. They had everything they wanted. It was wonderful. And look what they did. How did I not see that coming? You know, I had to destroy the world with water and these people, giving them the covenant, my signature of my ways in the sky and, you know, giving them fivefold director. And look what happened. You know, I, I came and my spirit came upon this beautiful temple and nobody was able to stand. And we just in the scope of a few decades, look what happened. I sent prophets I sent people who did miracles, uh, just, just incredible visitations of my spirit upon the people, and look what happened. And then this intertestamental testamental period where just craziness is happening. You think you've got problems. Why did God go through all that? Did he just keep messing up? No. God does all things well. And in the economy of God, these things had to happen, I think, to prove God's devotion to what he has ordained to do. And to, in so many ways, show the enemy that no matter what you do, I'm still going to accomplish what I said. And so then here comes the baby Jesus. What a wonderful thing, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, uh, the visitation to John and to others. And then look what happens. Oh my goodness. But now here we are. And we really are in the end times. Does that not shake you? Does that not rattle your cage in some way? Do you not feel the stirring of the Spirit within you? Look, I'm at an age where, chronologically, I should be looking at retiring. Of course, given the state of Bidenomics, who can do that now? But, but really, I'm looking as if our mission is just beginning. Oh yeah, I look back over the past decades and I think, gosh, why did that happen? Why did this happen? I can't believe that happened. Oh, what a miracle that was. What a miracle this was. What a terrible attack that was. I sure could use these people right now in this field of operation. I sure could use this group I sure could use this person. I could use this dimension of, of age group. You know, uh, these people that were vital in ministry. Gosh, I, I hate what happened to them. We could use them now. And, and you think of all that, you think, 
Oh, it's frustrating. But then you realize this story of God. (laughs) I've used this illustration, which was mine, by the way. We see these crazy things that happen in the scripture. And we see crazy things that have happened in God's development of us. And God's not sitting up on his throne with his elbow on his knee and his hand and his his face and his hand thinking, I sure didn't see that coming. Man, oh man, we are right where God wants us to be. And the question is, are you right where God wants you to be? You know, the solution for you is to get right with God, to commit yourself. You don't need me to come lay hands on you. You don't need me to come and rebuke you, bail you out. You need to do what God created you to do. Do you ever consider that some of the mess some of you are facing is because you've veered off the path and the Amalekites are all over you? Get right with God. Do what he's called you to do. I'm speaking that to myself. Do you know how many times the enemy will try to say to me, how are you going to do this? How are you going to be in all these places? How are you? Where's the funding coming from? Good grief. Where's the funding come from your church? What, what are you going to do there? How, how is this place going to be what it's supposed to be, which God has put us in this position? How are you going to be able to, to go into all the world? The thoughts and the things that I, I consider as I pray, God's got them all figured out. But you know, the one thing that he's... that he can't make happen. He can't make you be what you're supposed to be. That's got to be your decision. Will you do it? Stop playing around with lesser things. Stop entertaining fears. Stop looking at your age and thinking the old-timey thing, well, it's time for some others to come and do it. I'm glad Zechariah, he tried to say that. You see what Gabriel's reaction was. I'm glad Elizabeth didn't say that. I'm glad Joseph didn't say that. I'm glad Simeon didn't say that. I'm glad Anna didn't say that. I'm glad the Magi didn't say it. I'm glad God didn't say it. So who are you that you could say it? Boy, this message has gone into a meddling preaching song, hasn't it? One of the things that we're going to do on New Year's is I'm making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's been naughty and nice, of of so many of the things that before the Lord we've seen fall into the ground and die. And I'm laying claim to the dimensions of those that we are claiming life and fruitfulness because of every one of those prophetic sacrifices. And I believe it's time for those to happen. We're already seeing some of it. I'm not going to go into that message now. But I love this Matthew 2. I don't think we've ever really talked about the significance of out of Egypt will I bring my son, Hosea 11. 
But our, what's our message as saints? To be intercessors and to be sons. This is God's plan all along. I pray that we will fulfill that. I pray that I will fulfill it. Because each one of us has to give account. And God is with you. So this Christmas season, the most important thing you can do is to assess where you are in God's plan. And the most important gift you can give is yourself to your Heavenly Father. I pray that we'll all do that. These are good days. We're on the verge of the miraculous that are that is going to be seen in ways that are going to astound us. How do we be ready for it? Well, it begins now. Assess, confess, and commit yourself for what God has created you to be and how he wants to use you in the days to come. All right, I've gone over time. That's enough meddling, Pastor. Um, we will uh, we'll look forward to being again with you on this same back channel on uh, Sunday. Until then, God bless and goodbye.